Hi, this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts, and this is the sermon from this morning, Sunday, December 17th, here at the Westford Church. It's the third Sunday of Advent, the Sunday when on the Advent candle we light the candle of joy. So the sermon is about joy. It's called Joy or Happiness. The main text isn't the gospel that you hear on the recording, but is the epistle lesson which was read earlier, and that comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel, which comes from the gospel of Luke in the first chapter, verses 47 through 55, a passage often referred to as the Magnificat. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I think one of the greatest misunderstandings of Christian faith is this belief that Christians are supposed to be happy all the time. I had a friend who was a secretary of a church in Atlanta with a son in prison, another son having a nervous breakdown, and a husband in the hospital. She was depressed. But she never told a soul in her church and expended all of her energy putting on this cheery front at work because she thought that to reveal her depression would be a bad witness for her faith. Christians aren't supposed to be depressed, she believed. They're supposed to be happy. That's not scripture. Scripture doesn't say, in the words of that annoying song a few years back, don't worry, be happy. Scripture says, don't worry, rejoice. And there's a world of difference between those two things. If you'll forgive a little language discussion, just as we have two different words, happiness and joy, so the Greek also has two different words. The Greek word for happiness is makarios, and it refers to the freedom of the rich from normal cares and worries. It's a word to use, used to describe a person who's received some good fortune in one form or another, money, health, children, that sort of thing. And that's what our word happiness is about. If I'm happy, it's because things are going well in my life. My outward situation is good. There aren't any crises. I feel pretty good. There's money in the checking account. Nobody's out to get me. My job's going well, those kinds of things. But when those things start to change, I don't remain happy. When I get divorced and suddenly had no home and no money and watched the man I love move in with somebody else, I was not happy. 
And anybody who came along and told me that as a Christian I should have been happy would have gotten a lovingly delivered kick in the teeth. (laughs) Jesus got so angry that he went on a rampage through the temple. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus and over the city of Jerusalem. Jesus sweat drops of blood in the garden, we're told. And of the seven recorded sayings of Jesus from the cross, not one of them was, hey, isn't life good? Why the long face? Mom, cheer up. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We don't have a direct command to always be happy. Neither do we have an example of an always happy Jesus. What we do have is the promise of joy. The word in Greek is Cairo, described by the ancient Greeks as the culmination of being and the good mood of the soul. Cairo is something the ancient Greeks tell us that's found only in God and comes with virtue and with wisdom. And that's not the ancient Greek Christians, that's the regular old ancient Greek philosophers. It isn't a beginner's virtue. It comes as a culmination. And they say its opposite isn't sadness, but fear. Happiness is the great feeling you get when everything is going smoothly. Joy is what God gives us in the midst of trouble, when we put that trouble into God's hands. Both happiness and joy have no fear in them. Happiness has no fear because nothing's wrong and everything is on its course. Joy has no fear because we become willing to trust God that our sufferings, whatever they are, can be transformed to serve a purpose, a purpose that we have come to want more than anything else. Another way we might put it is that we have happiness because of our situation. We have joy in spite of our situation. With happiness, fear and destruction might be just around the corner. Life can change in an instant. With joy, the very things that others fear have become, in God's hands, a means of salvation. And in that, fear, the greatest weapon of evil, has lost its power. It's what the cross ultimately is all about. And that's why the passage that Mike read, commanding us to rejoice, is followed immediately by the command not to be anxious about anything. Joy is not about getting rid of problems, but of getting rid of the fear of those problems. Paul is not writing that letter to the Philippians from a happy position. He's writing from prison, and it's his last prison stay. He's going to die soon at the hands of the Emperor Nero. And things aren't going to be any better for the church in Philippi either. The atrocious persecutions of Christians under the reign of Nero are about to begin. Christians torn apart by wild animals in the arena. Christians covered in tar and set ablaze to light the emperor's garden. There's about to be a time of great grief and loss and pain and torture. Paul isn't telling them to be happy. It's not Pollyanna talking. Paul is telling them to rejoice. Paul's telling them not to fear, not because it's going to be an easy road, not because God is going to miraculously intervene and save them all from hardship. 
In Philippi, Christians with strong faith are going to be put to death. But they're still told not to be anxious. Why? Because God is at work for the salvation of the world. God can use their pain, even their death, to save others. Their eternal spirit cannot be harmed. And God will fill their suffering with meaning and with purpose. Many people believe that if you have faith strong enough, bad stuff won't happen to you. Worse, people go to others who are suffering and add to their misery by telling them, if they just had more faith, things would work out. Or that the awful thing that's just happened to them is somehow part of God's plan. I spoke to a woman once whose baby had died from a heart problem. Somebody claiming to be a Christian actually came and told her that she had killed her baby because if she'd just prayed with enough faith, the baby would have lived. That is spiritual abuse. For Paul to say rejoice is to acknowledge that Christians will have problems, bad problems, no matter how much faith we've got. It's part of the very meaning of the word rejoice. Some people will get diseases and die no matter how many prayers are said for healing. Promising young Christians will get gunned down by random violence no matter how pure their lives have been. And in the midst of it all, we're told not to be happy, but to rejoice. We're happy because of, we're joyful in spite of. Well, fine, but how do we get there? Paul calls joy one of the fruits of the Spirit because we can't have joy until we've begun to develop a spiritual life. We can have happiness without spiritual development at all, as long as the conditions in our lives are favorable. But we can't have joy. Joy comes as a result of a complete trust in the love of God and a deep desire for the will of God to be done in the world no matter what that cost might be for ourselves. When it finally becomes more important to be an instrument of God's peace than it is to be comfortable and have what we want for ourselves, then we're on the threshold of joy. It's the attitude that's willing to suffer death, even death on a cross, if God deems it necessary. Jesus wasn't happy on the cross, but I do believe that he had joy. Joy because he knew he was doing the work of God and that God would use that pain and suffering and agony to save the world. When our spirits are hid with God, even our death cannot defeat us. And every minute of suffering can be used for God's good. It's what Obi-Wan Kenobi knew when he allowed Darth Vader to strike him down, saying, you can't win, Darth If you strike me down, I will become still more powerful than you can possibly imagine. It's what Paul meant when he said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's what Job meant when he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It's what a friend's sister meant when she got a diagnosis of breast cancer and said, you know, it's a win-win situation. If I live, I get to keep on living. And if I die, I get to be with God. That's what joy is about. Don't worry. Not because God won't let the bad guy hurt you if you ask in faith. 
Don't worry because that bad guy will be made to serve the purposes of God if you'll give the situation into God's hands. It comes from ultimate trust that God is good and loving and in the process of bringing peace on earth, goodwill to all. And it comes from wanting to be part of that more than anything else in the world. I've told you before about the night that I learned about love. And it was also the night that I learned about joy. It was about midnight, November 1, 1980. I was back at home, having just graduated from college in June. And I woke up hearing a noise outside my bedroom. I opened the door and I heard my mother on the phone, half yelling, half crying, almost incoherent, saying over and over again, I can't wake him up, I can't wake him up, I can't wake him up. And while she was on the phone, I ran down the hall to my parents' bedroom and saw my father lying on the bed, his eyes glassy with the look of death. My mother was still on the phone, and I remember thinking, Jesus raised the dead, and he promised that we would do even greater things, and I can pray for him to live again. And so I got down on my knees by his bed, and I prayed and prayed for Jesus to put his life back into his body. And as I prayed, I got more and more desperate. I remember feeling inside me that I was just about to go over the edge into hysteria. But just before I fell over that edge, I felt a hand on my shoulder, and I heard a voice say, no. And immediately, I was flooded with peace. I looked up, but there wasn't anybody in the room. My father's glassy-eyed stare was gone. His eyelids were now closed. And I finished my prayer by giving my father permission to go and to be with God. And then I got up and went downstairs with my mother to wait for the ambulance. I wasn't happy, not by a long shot. I didn't understand, and I still don't understand, why it had to be him at only 47 years old, who'd given so much to so many. But even in the depths of my grief, there was this strange and wonderful consolation of joy. People at his memorial service didn't get it. We filled the high school auditorium where he had been a guidance counselor and the band director came through the receiving line at the end and he said, I don't know if this is quite the right thing to say, but this was the best time tonight I've had in a long time. <laughs> we had joy. Now I'm not saying that we shouldn't fight disease and pray for healing and call on God in times of trouble. God encourages us to do just that and to do all that we can, both for ourselves and for others. But when the answer comes back, no, as it did to me, as it did even to Jesus in the garden, when there's nothing more to be done either in heaven or on earth than just go through and face the coming trouble, the goal of faith is to give it over to God in trust that what seems like the end of all things is merely a somber prelude to a glorious Easter morning. Such trust is rewarded with the joy of God that no person and no circumstance can ever, ever take away. With every step closer to that sort of faith, we see more of our fears dissolve. When we don't truly care whether we live or die, as long as God's will is being done, then there's nothing left to fear. There's no threat that anyone can level at that point. 
joy enters our souls, just as it entered Bethlehem during Roman oppression and had to make do with a feeding trough for a bed. And that joy, once it enters, cannot be taken away, even by a cross. It's a gift more precious than any gold or frankincense or myrrh, and we must travel the distance of faith in order to receive it. Maybe this time of the year finds you happy. Maybe it doesn't. Happiness can come and go in the twinkling of an eye. But the joy of our Lord is our strength at all times and in all places and in all circumstances. So work for it. Run for it. God longs to give it to you. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. Love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com, where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Thank you.